I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello and welcome to Off the Beat and Track Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Stu Whiffin. It's another week, therefore it's another episode. Today's episode, I talked to Dave McLean. And, well, you're in for a treat. Um, Dave, uh, if you're unaware of um, his work, um, has been a, a concert promoter uh, from the, you know, throughout the 80s and, and, and 90s. Uh, and, I mean, the, the journey is hilarious, poignant, exciting, like everything. So much so that um, a film has been made of that that journey called schemas which uh, is currently available um i watched it on amazon prime i'm sure there's other places you can watch it and it's wonderful um it's just all about the hustle and it's it's just brilliant watch an absolute brilliant watch um i saw that and thought i'm going to reach out and, and and chat to dave um as this podcast unfolds we find out that there's a, a follow-up film that's being made soon um picking up on on where that that last film finished um it, over the last 25 or so years dave's managed uh dave manages placebo um and we we, we talk about everything uh but that gives you a kind of brief sort of summary of uh of of what you can expect and it's it's a great chat we we, we hook up over zoom dave's in bangkok um where he resides and and we just have a wonderful now and there's some ridiculously funny stories that appear throughout this podcast um i can see why a film was made of uh, of dave's life absolutely fascinating um before we get on with that chat uh just some thank yous uh firstly to you lot for continuing to support this podcast and and share it and retweet it and 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 just you know getting behind it a lot of you send nice messages in saying that you've been really enjoying the podcast and or you're new to the podcast and you know, and it's been something that you've been listening to on your runs or, or when you're out in your car or whatever. So so thanks. Just just really appreciate it because this is, you know, however much joy you're getting out of it, I'm getting 50 times more, you know, recording it and getting to meet and have these wonderful chats with, with some incredible people. Um, also, thanks to Scroobius Pip and everybody uh, on the Distraction Pieces Network, which this podcast is very proud to be part of. Thanks to 76 for producing this podcast. As you well know, during lockdown, all of these podcasts are recorded remotely. So, um, you know, 76 is doing a great job, uh, you know, trying to ensure that the recorded, remote recorded, you know, audio is, is as, as, as warm to your ears as, as as a studio podcast could be and uh, and he's doing a great job in uh in, in you know polishing it all up to make sure that you get a nice listen right um if you'd like to support the podcast as well you can do that on patreon i'll put up loads of episodes over there as well that don't get released to the masses video episodes radio shows um and that's on patreon dot uh, com forward slash off the beat and track um and it's about 71p a week and yeah that just helps to support this podcast because it's well it's my favorite labor of love but it is that and uh and yeah and i think well yeah basically if this also is your first time listening i should mention when you get to the end of this great chat with with Dave, um, go and have a look in the archives because you can hear me chatting to the Foo Fighters, to Tommy Lee and Motley Crue, to Mel C of Spice Girls, Chuck D, Public Enemy, Alan McGee, Suede, Idols, <clears throat> loads. Go and have a, a little rummage around and see what you can find because you'll uh, you'll definitely find something that uh, I guarantee you'll enjoy a little listen to. 
Let's get on with today's natter. Please enjoy Off The Beat and Track podcast with the wonderful Dave McLean. It's Off The Beat and Track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. Give me stew with him. Okay, we are recording. How are you today, Dave? Bloody marvellous, mate. As I said, another day in paradise. So yeah. you're, we're doing Still. this remotely and you're in Bangkok, right? Uh-huh, Bangkok, Thailand. Bangkok, Thailand. So how long have you been out there? 17 years in April the 4th. I remember it well. 17 years I've been here. Yeah. But, I mean, I come back and forward a lot. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not totally kind of exiled. Yeah. Mm. I mean, I go back, I used to go back to the UK five or six times a year, but... Um, yeah, 17 years has been great. Great city. Awesome place. And so you, you mentioned as well before we started recording that uh, we, we, we should also point out we're recording this on the 26th of Feb. And uh, and you reported that there's like 45 cases of, of, of COVID uh, currently uh, mm-hmm. announced where you are. Yeah. I mean, that's, that, that's, that appears to be a, a country that's dealing with it very well. Yeah, well, there's Vietnam as well who... I, I think they've they've got less than that. I mean, they, I, I think their total cases are maybe a couple of hundred in the last year. But Thailand has only had 84 deaths, 84 deaths in a year. Wow. I mean, that's ridiculous. And considering last year when it was all kicking off in China, Chinese New Year, loads of Chinese come to Thailand. So when it was all kicking off in China, we had maybe easy half a million Chinese in Bangkok. And nothing, nothing, nothing happened. Well, we just had a, you know, they shut it all down, obviously, the military. They did it very strong, which was good because they just had a total curfew for a couple of months. But we're just really lucky, you know, blessed, really. As I, I get up every morning, walk about the, the, it's called a Muban, it's a gated community thing, like, you know. But it's got the, the lakes and all the birds flying about and, you know, all that stuff. And it's just beautiful. And you think, you know, I'm just so lucky, man, you know, it's sunshine, everything like that. So touch wood, you know, that keeps going. Well, um, we'll, we'll we'll kind of get to 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 moving and and and, and transitioning out to, to Thailand, but the the majority of this podcast is going to be the kind of formative years of your life, um, and we always kick off the podcast with with track one, Dave, which is the song with the greatest ever intro, please. Yeah, well, was it good? There was there was two, there was two, and it was a late change of horses there because. Initially, it was going to be an Alex Harvey uh, faith healer, but it goes on too long. Okay. I mean, it's, it's basically three minutes, 26, 40 says in it. So, but I went for um, You Know You're Right, Nirvana, because I just think it just sums up um, the period where we were really prolific promoters and there was loads of stuff going on. And, you know, we did bands like Alice in Chains and Soundgarden and Pearl Jam and Mudhoney and just, just loads and loads of bands, you know. And I just love that kind of, kind of swagger to it and it's it's got that dirty sort of sound like and it's just like sleazy kind of oh, i don't know it's just brilliant I, I just i just love it so um if if, if i can afford it i'm going to have it in my next movie as a closing track but i doubt if i'll be able to afford it <laughs> well it wasn't it wasn't a it was a weird thing am i right in saying was this the when this was released it was released as a a double a side with jesus lizard is it was that the track? Uh, no idea, actually. Um, I just know it as you know, you're right, and I've, I saw it on YouTube. I never saw them play it live. I don't know if they ever did play it live because it was the last. I think it was the last song Kurt wrote, you know. I think, and um, but when I just was flicking through YouTube one day, and I saw this one with the seventy-two million views, and I, I just put it on. And I don't know if you've seen the video, but it's got all maybe. 50, 60 live shots all cut together. And it was like, oh, it just reminded me of the total excitement at the time, you know, and it'll never be repeated. So, yeah. and I just, I just love it. I mean, the atmosphere of that track just, just does it for me. I think it's a great intro. Do you know what? I got it completely wrong. That, that track uh, was uh, the, the one that was a split single that, that, that was called Oh, The Guilt. That, um, you know, you're right. That was the one that got released long after Kurt had passed I believe I think as you said that was one of the last ones he wrote and that's that come out and it's, yeah. it's a monster record that is isn't it it's just bloody it's it, it makes me think what could have happened because 
we had, um, I think it was a, and well, we had an arena tour all booked and sold out and all that. And it was meant to kick off on April the 4th. Uh, no, not April the 4th, because that's when I think Kurt died April the 4th. It was meant to kick off maybe a couple of days later. So you always think, what would have happened? You know, I mean, because he would have still only been sort of pretty young compared to Barnes to me, only sort of 50-ish or something, you know. Mm-hmm. Would have been tearing up every place, you know, like stadiums and, you know, conquer the world. But, um, yeah, it never happened. That was that, you know. Hey, uh, I had yeah. tickets for that tour and, uh, and obviously ah, never, right. never, never got to see it. Um, and so what was – was that a tour that – I mean, for, for people that uh, are, are unaware – um, of a big part of your background. Obviously, I'll direct them to watch the film, but we will get on to that uh, shortly. Yeah. Um, but for, I, I guess back then, you, you were most commonly known as a, as, a, as a live band promoter. Would that be a fair assumption? <laughs> yeah, we. Um, yeah, that's it. I, I came down to London thinking I'd conquered the world. They just an Iron Maiden and stuff like that up in Scotland. And uh, I thought, I'll, get, I'll just come down to London. Conquer the world would be easy, no problem at all. Take me maybe six weeks or something. And <laughs> I couldn't I, I get a job any place. So I like after six months. So my first job was in Walthamstow, and I um, was working for the council. And I was doing acts like Little and Large, Cannon and Ball, Rod Holland, you, uh, Chris, what's his name, the, the guy with the duck. Um, Keith Harris and the Keith duck. Harris, Orville. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I was doing the bingo. I was like tea dances. I was like waltzing around with old women. And I thought, yeah, I'm living the dream. There you go. And uh, so I got sacked from that. And um, then I got into, I, I got, well, I just went on and on doing loads of clubs and venues. And eventually ended up at the Greyhound after getting sacked from King's College and that, for throwing a mobile phone at my boss when the Pogues were playing. But the mobile phone in these days was about the size of a brick. <laughs> so it kind of nearly knocked her out. So um, I got fired for that and ended up in, in disgrace at the Fulham Greyhound, which was actually my my saviour, because that's where we ended up getting all these bands, you know, the, the grungy stuff. So, so yeah, we were, to answer your question, we were known as promoters back then, yeah. And, and I mean, at, at that time, uh, I, I take it we're talking sort of very early 90s, like the uh, eight, night, 1980. Well, I moved to London 1985. So, but I started doing the King's College stuff with the Pogues and Jesus Jones and the Shaman and all that. Maybe about 87, and Icicles were always great. That was one of my favourites. And then the kind of the when the American thing started, I imagine that was kind of tail end of the 80s, early 90s. Yeah, it was I think about 1989 we started doing Mud Honey and bands like that. Yeah, 1989. It was weird because it kind of it just it seemed to just dominate, you know, the the music scene. Everything was just everyone was looking to the states for what was happening, and it was the whole kind of you know Seattle thing just exploded. And and obviously you mentioned you know Mud Honey and stuff like that, which were I guess were the, were the front runners ahead of you know the, yeah, yeah. the Nirvanas and and Pearl Jams and Alice in Chains. But when when that thing bit. I mean, not just, I, I like to, you know, one of the things I find quite interesting, which you don't see as much of now, is that kind of tribalism in the music and the fashion coming together. And at that point, I mean, I was kind of, a, you know, 18, 19, it was a perfect, you know, I was very much involved in that scene. But all of a sudden, when that scene bit, it wasn't just the music, yeah. but everybody had grown their hair again. Everybody was wearing <laughs> lumberjack shirts and shorts. And exactly. Duck, and it exactly, was like, it yeah. was, a, it, you know, it felt like a little mini movement and, you know, whatever you wanted to call it, the grunge scene or, or, or whatever, it was, it's something that I feel you don't see as much of now, that, that kind yeah. of tribalism. And, and, I, and I miss oh, that. Yeah, yeah. To- totally get what you're saying. I mean, I used to joke with my business partner that, we, that we'd book anything that had... Lumberjack shirt, ripped jeans, and Converse boots. You know what I mean? Seriously, and and that that'd be the starting point, you know, because everybody wore that gear, like you know, it was like brilliant, you know. Mm. And I, I really get what you're saying about the tribalism thing, because when you go back to the punk stuff, I mean, that was like a tribe. It was a big tribe. And then the grunge stuff was like a big tribe. But I mean, you didn't really get what you'd say a like a, a sort of Coldplay type tribe sort of wandering about. Not, not that I've seen them, around, you know. You know, these kind of more mainstreamy bands. It's, it's more the 
kind of rebellious stuff, you know. And the the, the excitement factor, I mean, it was a bit like the punk thing because the, I mean, if you've seen the, well, you've been to Nirvana gigs or Mudhoney gigs or any of these or Tad or, you know, Melvin's or what, I mean, the stage dive and the crowd, the, the, the action, the atmosphere. I mean, nobody just stood there like kind of nodding their head and, mm, mm. Like it was like mental, you know. Yeah, it's cra- crazy times, you know. And I, I, I can't think of anything in recent times really. It's been a bit like that. I mean, can't think off the top of my head, really. No, not that I think of, of of that sort of reaction, you know. Definitely not. Definitely not. Well, I'm going to go back um, uh, to, to to the formative years for this, and I'm going to ask you, Dave, for the first song that you remember hearing that had an emotional impact on you, please. Yeah, well, that was, um, what was that? I forgot what it was. Now. It was at breakfast at Tiffany's, Moon River, yeah. Audrey Hepburn. I mean, if that doesn't affect, uh, like, a person, they're obviously made of stone or something like that, you know? Or, or they haven't got a heart. I mean, it's just impossible not to listen to that song without going, oh, wow, that's a great song. I love that song. Yeah. Awesome. And so when you hear that, where does that, where do you instantly go? Where does that take you back to? It takes me back to the farm that my dad used to own in Dundee before it was compulsory purchased by the council. Long story, but he got beat up and assaulted and the World of Action did a programme on it. Loads of corruption. Um, and it was one of the farms that he had and he he went out on the randan one night and just <laughs> disappeared because he was pissed off. With him. And it was me and my mum and my brother was in bed because I'd, I'd be about nine or ten or something. And Breakfast at Tiffany's was on the TV. And I remember my mum was toasting these rolls on the open fire with this big toasting stick. And we had the butter and the rolls. And what, and, that, and that, that song came on and she was, you know, she wasn't in a, a great mood because it was a scene. But she looked kind, kind of emotional like and you could always remember that and think, yeah, Moon River. And I, I kind of can't listen to that without thinking back to then. You know? Yeah. Although, Many years later, we promoted Morrissey, uh, like a Morrissey tour, and he did a really good version of it at Brixton Academy. So. But nothing like um, nothing like Audrey Hepburn just sitting on the, the window ledge playing the guitar or what, well, strumming or whatever she was doing. But yeah. that was it for me. That, that's my go-to first track ever oh. uh, that had an emotional impact. It's a, it's a beautiful record, Dave. Have you, have you ever heard R.E.M. cover it? Ever what, sorry? Have you ever heard R.E.M.'s version of that? No, but I'd imagine it'd be great, you know? It's really, it's a um, beautiful version. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I'll probably play it later because, I mean, you need to be so, sort of way off the mark to get it wrong, really, because it's, it's just a great track. If you've got the voice and you've got the emotion, then it's just superb. I mean, the lyrics are great and all that. So, yeah, I kind of often play that. I mean, I often drift across to that little, that movie, Brick Breakfast at Tiffany's, and the, like the end scene and with the cat and all that. It's just yeah. brilliant, like, you know. Yeah, awesome stuff. So The only thing that ruins it is Mickey Rooney, but there you go. So we'll, 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 we'll go there. So. <laughs> well, just just going back to, you know, early years as, as, as a young lad in Dundee, um, fond memories, good place to grow up? Um. <sighs> Well, I loved Dundee. I, I, I loved Dundee. But I, I had a bit of a strange upbringing because, like you said, my, we were really rich one day, then really poor the next day, you know. So I was like little Lord Fauntleroy. We were going skiing when everybody else used to dream about it. We used to fly to Switzerland and we had the Rolls Royces and we had the chauffeurs and we had the, the maids and all that. But then, as I say, um, literally, well, not overnight, but over a period of a couple of weeks, we went from that kind of lifestyle to living in the multi-story, like you know, so we had the big farm with the horses and the, all the fields and the river and all that. So suddenly we were decamped to a multi-story, where basically, you know, you had to be in the gang to. If, if you're not in the gang, you're, you're 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 nobody, like you know. So you have to start running with this team and whatever. And the multis, the lifts are always broken, and the you know the the crap and the gang spray, the graffiti, the glue sniffers, and so, yeah, that kind of was a bit of a, a bit of a change in circumstance. So, um, but you know, whatever it was, it was. But uh, I, I made some good mates there, and then I, you know, 
had a few rubbish jobs and eventually my auntie told me to, you know, get my act together and go to university. And I said, well, how can I do that? I've only got two O-levels. <laughs> she says, well, go go to night school and get A-levels or go to college. So I did that, then I went to university. So, But I love the city. I, I, I love the city. But in, but in these days, it was quite rough with gangs and that, you know. And, and you had to be in a gang. If you weren't in a gang, you just get, you know, you get battered, basically, you know. <laughs> so, so, and so, but it's a great city, though. So how did you find that being, you know, maybe looked upon as, like, the rich kid? And, you know, did, how did you yeah. sort of, you know, get in, get into that gang and get accepted? You know, was that quite a, a moment of sort of, you know, having a sort of character build there and, and, and toughen up? Well, definitely. I mean, I got into it and, um, I mean, I was always good with a mouth. I mean, I was always the, come on, and all that, give, like sort of giving it all up. But I was the fastest runner. Like, yeah. <laughs> so, if I, you know, I was like, I was like, I was like, I was like Billy Wiz, like, you know, woof, you know. But, um but I think I, I, I earned my stripes uh, when we went to the football match up in Montrose and uh, I, I had this German bayonet on me, this German dagger, right? And, and we, we got into this kind of, you know, come on, come on, come on, and all the usual standoffs and chasing people and whatever. So I tied this German dagger and, went, and uh, the police were at one end of the, the what do you call it, Passageway or alleyway or whatever. So I turned to run the other way, and there was cops at the other end. So I, I dropped this bayonet thing, right? And of course they, they kind of picked it up and that. And then they took me to the, the jail. And um, so they said, "So, right, what were you doing with this bayonet?" I went, "Well, funnily enough, funnily enough, I heard there was a fantastic antique shop, antiquity shop, that specialised." <laughs> They specialised in Second World War German militaria. And the cop said to me, I'm going to tell you what cop said to me, he kind of swore, expletive, right? he says, this silly little bastard, like, you know. So they took me along to the cop shop and put me in there, right? And then they came and the guy said to me, look, son, you, you, you don't seem a bad sort of guy. This is unbelievable, right? I mean, I had a big bayonet on me. So the cop says, look, what's the story? So I told him my story about my dad, the farm, this, that. And he must have done a bit of checking up, like, you know, uh, just phoned people in Dundee or phoned, a, you know, just checked up. So he come back to me and says, there's two ways this could go, right? You could go up to Peterhead Prison tonight, you know, which is, won't be your cup of tea. Or I keep this and you go back to Dundee and I'll be watching you. I'll have people watching you. So I went back to Dundee. The first thing I did was join the youth club. <laughs> Joined the youth club and started doing these... Um, going to these sort of kids' things with handicapped kids and getting involved with this and, you know, um, what's, what's the word to use um, for sort of disadvantaged kids and all. So I threw myself onto the social work stuff. So that, that was that. But I got accepted into the gang, but then I just left the gang, as, as you do, like, you know. Yeah. And that was it. Got into other things. Well, I, I generally like to ask guests when they were young <laughs> if they were confident, but, I mean... <laughs> I think you just answered that. I mean, to, to have the kind of front to offer up that kind of excuse to the old Bill at first that he was going to an <laughs> antiques fair. I mean, that's that's having some chops, right? Yeah, well, it's it's like I've always been good, like, chatting, but I've not got confidence. But I remember I, I got into this, um, see, when you were at school, people would claim you. You see, you're claimed, you know, and claim meant you, you have to fight them. You know, I'd go, oh, Jesus, like, you know. So... I got claimed by this like hard man one day. He said, four o'clock outside the school, me and you. Of course, it was, it was never me and you. It was like a hundred people watching. Like, you know, come on back. So, so I said to this guy, I went, listen, before we get started, before you actually batter me, right, I said, I'd just like you to be aware that I've got a heart condition. Right. It's uh, it's basically the same as that footballer Asa Hartford because it was this guy Asa Hartford who's played for Man City. I said it's what's called a hole in the heart, so any vicious punch could kill me. So I'm just telling you for your own sake that you may end up killing me and going to jail for a long, long time. He said, "Oh, for fuck!" <laughs> he said, like, "Okay." <laughs> He just, just started laughing, and that was that. So, you know, kind of talked to me about that one as well. Yeah. Well, well, let, let- 
One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Let's talk about school a bit more. Um, for, for track three, Dave, I'm going to ask you for the song that reminds you of your time at school, please. <clears throat> Brown Sugar, Rolling Stones. I, I love that, you know. And um, I think I remember that because, well, uh, there was this girl I really fancied at the school. And we were playing, we were away to play a football match. And uh, we were in the dressing room and we were coming out. Well, it was on this kind of big radio. It was Brown Sugar. It was kind of belting it like that. And I was sharpening my studs because I used to be a bit of a dirty player. So I, I never used to check the studs. So I was sharpening the studs and, you know, sharpening them up so I could slash a few people and whatever. And and, and, she, and, and she was kind of by the pitch and you could still hear it banging out this brown sugar. And I, I, it just stuck in my memory. And, you know, I just, I just love it. It's happy school days, like, you know what I mean? While I was riffing about the pitch, you know, so, getting stuck in. So was school happy days then? Did you enjoy school? Oh, I hate it. Hate it. it was a nightmare because because I failed the 11 plus or whatever it's called, which meant you were basically stupid in these days. I mean, because they seemed to get into their head that you had to pass this exam to go to the good school that taught you like English, geography, history and all that sort of stuff. Or if you failed that, you went to what was called a junior technical school or whatever it was, where you did metalwork, woodwork, techie drawing, you know, Stuff like that, you know, which I actually hold the record for the worst mark ever at Tech John. I got five, <laughs> five, five percent for, and that was for getting my name right in the in the bottom right hand corner of the lights, right? Five percent. <laughs> but 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 skills where I had my where I had my OCD kind of thing that just was really was a result of losing the farm and going to the multi-story. It was a it was this big psychological thing. So school was like terrible for me because I, I just like I had OCD nonstop. I mean, I could tell you one quick OCD story. Have you got time for an OCD All story? All the time in the world. Right. It was like I, w- I was in the metalwork class and I said to the metalwork teacher, uh, I think I've got a bit of filing in my eye, you know, when you're using the file. He says, no, there's, there, no, there's nothing in your eye. I went, well, it feels like it, right? But anyway, I went back to the house and said to my mum, she said, oh, there's nothing there. Anyway, the next week I was at metalwork and I said to the teacher, I think I've got a file in my eye, which is about a foot long. He said, look, McLean, disappear. So, and I went home and my mum had said, I think I've got a file in my eye. Then a, a week later, I was playing golf with my mate, John Gibson, and he threw away his golf club. And he couldn't find it. I mean, how you could lose a golf club on a golf course, but he actually did lose a golf club. And I says, John, is, it in, is that golf club in my eye? He goes, Dave, are you going mad? I said, no, it's in my eye. And then the, 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 the straw that broke the camel's back was when I came back from school for lunch one day and I'm sitting eating my custard and oranges, which I used to love that, these mandarin oranges with a custard. And I'd been at my Uncle Alistair's farm a couple of days before and he'd bought this new combine harvester. And I said to my mum, mum, I think I've got a combine harvester in my eye. <laughs> she goes, 
Right, okay. Wanna take you up to the doctor? <laughs> so I went to the psychiatrist. It was like class. So that so that was my school days, like, you know, the medal. Well stuff like that. Um so I mean clearly there's I mean also <laughs> that's before we've even touched on on, on you know a, a huge part of what, what, what the film is about. But before we, we, we sort of touch on that Clearly, there's a lot of stories to be told here. So, am I right in saying that? Did the film come about through? Because am I right in saying you managed placebo? Yeah, yeah. Twenty-seven years and still going strong. Yeah, got a great tour lined up. Loads of arenas, fest, headlining festivals. Awesome. Can't believe how we still. It's the gift that keeps giving. You know what I mean? That's what I call it. <laughs> and so, was it? Am I right in saying it was them that were saying you've got to make a film of this? Well, it's my business partner, Alex, and the band, because when you're traveling like on planes and you know, uh, Chile or Mexico or whatever, which uh, was another good story, actually, but um, you, you just tend to tell stories. And like Brian and Steph would say, Dave, you should write a book. And Alex would say, you should write a book and all that sort of stuff. But I never had the patience to write a book. So I thought a film's easy because, because in the film, at least – at least if the film's rubbish, right? At least it looks, you, you can have it looking good. You can have the scenery looking good. And then you can have loads of good music. So uh, the film could still be rubbish, but you've got loads of good music and the scenery's good. But then, with a bit of luck, you could have a good script, right? And some good actors. So then it could all come together. And, and it's easy to do because it's like, you're filming it, you know? It's easy. It's not like writing a book. Because writing a book's like four or 500 pages. But doing a movie's just like pointing a camera and kind of, Re- revisiting incidents that you, that have happened, so it's so that's how it started doing it. I mean, because the amount of times I've been at dinner or something like that. I mean, although I can never tell the story on command, if like Alex or somebody says, "Tell them the story about that," I'll, I kind of just do it on command, like you know. But then it'll come at me ten minutes later. You know, I'll, I'll I'll release it, release the hounds, you know. And and it's a it's a great film, Dave. And you know, I'm tears. I'm a I'm a band promoter and have been for for you know over 25 years and the the excitement and the hustles that that are, you know that are covered in that film are just a completely different realm to anything I've ever been involved with and it's wonderful and it was exciting and funny and and I mean that it takes the story pretty much to the point only so far and I'm, I'm you know. And I urge listeners to go and watch it. I mean, the film's called Schemers. We should point that out as well. Um, oh, cheers, mate. Nice one. But I'm also interested to kind of pick up on, you know, when you get to London and 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 some of the stuff that happened there. But in the um, in the meantime, I'm just going to sort of stay in the formative years for track four, Dave, and ask you the first song you remember buying from a record shop. Oh, well, see, that was that was very uh, etched in my memory. That is that is. Um, it was one day, I was in Fife, I was staying with my gran, my granddad, and uh, my uncle, actually, Mike, who was about, he was about maybe 20 and I was about 11 or something like that. And um, we went into a fishing village called Anstruther, and there was a little record shop. And he says, you want to buy a record? I says, yeah, I'd love to get a record, because I'd never bought a record before. He says, what do you like? And I says, well, there was two tracks at the time that were vying for my attention vying for my 50 pence or whatever it was. And thankfully, I chose, it was a fork in the road. This is a fork in the road at this time, right? It could have gone either way. It was a guy called, what was he called now? James Dolan or something it was, James Dolan. And it was Make Me an Island. There was Make Me an Island. And I think it went on to be number one, right? So, but, but I didn't choose that. No, 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 no. That was too mainstream. No, 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 no. I went for Creedence Clearwater Revival up around the bend. Love it. That was it. Yeah. But it could so easily have gone the other way. I can't remember that guy's name. I think it was James Dolan or something. But so the one I did go for was Creedence. And every time you hear it's brilliant. And he's still going, John Fogarty, I think. Yeah. I'm pretty sure he is. Great voice. So So as you sort of, you know, got into your teenage years and stuff, did record shops become like, you know, important places for you? Uh, yeah, you always kind of hang out in records. Well, we used to sell loads of, um, well, when we got into doing the gigs when it was about 1920, we used to use the record shops as our 
ticket agencies. Mm. There was no hard like ticket master and all, all that nonsense. Like, you know, it was like you'd go to your little record shop and there'd be five or six in Dundee and you'd put your tickets. But it was a bit like what you do with up in Raleigh or Raleigh, is it? Mm. Sorry, Raleigh. You'd, you'd, you'd sell your tickets from the record shop. You'd build up a bit of rapport with a guy there that's always stoned, like, you know. And, um, you know, <laughs> that, that, was, that was, isn't it? They always like, okay, to tell you what's good. And, you know, you'd always go in and look at, I always used to look at the Music Week Top 75 and look at all the bands and go down to number 75 or something and think, oh, we should maybe book them because they'd be cheap. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it was great. Yeah. And, and before we get on to, to track five, um, I mean, you just said there how long you've been working with Placebo. How did, how did that come about? How did you um, sort of... Oh, that, that, was, that was like a godsend. I mean, God must have been thinking, throw these boys a bone, you know, because uh, it was just after Kurt had died, 1994. And obviously, I, I actually said, look, there's no point in us being promoters anymore because we'll never get a band as big as Nirvana again, because we had them, we were going to be doing Milton Keynes and stuff like that. And I talked to the agent about Milton Keynes Bowl and all, all, all sorts of stuff. And I, I just thought, we'll never get a band as big as that again. <laughs> but funnily enough, I was wrong because the Foo Fighters went on to be huge. Although we did loads of Foo Fighters shows, but I, to be honest with you, I never thought they'd be doing Wembley Stadium. And we did all the Green Day shows and look, they went on to do Milton Keynes two nights and stuff. So, we probably up sticks too early on the promotions. We, we, we should have kept it, but I, I just thought, well, we'll never get in as big as that. But, um, sorry, what was your question? I kind of went, went off. Just on one, how, but, uh, you, how you come to, to, to meet Brian and, and the oh, band. And... Oh, 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 yeah, yeah, that. Well, so like, it was in 1994, and, we, and like you say, um, Kurt had just died, and we were all depressed about that, and not, not just because of the money, and just because he was a great guy, and it was lovely, and it was just sad. But then we got this uh, this guy called Bill Bill Lloyd, who's still in Placebo. He's he's like like they call him the glue, with with, with good reason. He he keeps everything together. He's like a giant stick of bostic. If they still make that, I don't know. But he keep keeps everything together, you know. And he came into the office one day with a demo with a demo, and he, we used to promote loads of gigs. We did PJ Harvey, and I think he was on the bill with PJ Harvey. And his band were called something like Soup. Or I think it was Soup, S-O-U-P, Soup. I think that was the name of his band. But anyhow, he he, he kind of liked us. And um don't know why, but he, he just turned up at our office one day and he says, oh, guys, I've got this uh, demo. And uh, who, so they're looking for ma- manager. No, he's never said they're looking for management. They're looking for gigs, right? Because he said they've got a manager, right? I, I always remember that. And um, so we put it on and they had... Nancy Boy, Teenage Song, 36 Degrees, Bruce Pristine. This is all on the one six tracks. I went, Jesus, you know, this is fantastic. So we got that. Then we met Brian and Steph. And Brian said, well, we've actually got a manager, this guy, Justin, who used to work on Blind Date or something. And uh, I said, oh, okay, fair enough. Okay, you've got a manager. But it turned out he never had a manager. He was just saying that as a kind of, you know, just, I, I don't know why he was saying that, but, I mean, Justin was his advisor or something or whatever. So so we got kind of dragged along for about five or six months, like, like we were, oh, we'll sign it soon, Dave. We'll sign the contract soon, Dave. I will, I will do it soon, Dave. Uh, and then we, <laughs> we were going to America, and I said, look, guys, come on, like, this little dance is going on long enough. Can you please just sign a contract for management before I get on the plane? I'm not the best of flyers. I'm risking my life to go to Los Angeles here. Please, you know. So anyhow, they signed it, and that, and that was that. And the rest is, as you know, history. And um, they've played, I think we've played, I counted up the other day, I think it's 71 countries, which is a lot of countries. That, that's a lot more than you two have ever played, you know, and they're a huge band. But we will literally go any place. It's like, you know, Mission Impossible. We will <laughs> we'll go any place. And it's just been great fun. It's been the best times of my life, you know. Well, along with a lot, of, a few other things, but I mean, it's tremendous. And that, that's that's how we got it through this guy Bill. And then we got good with the band. I just really liked them. It's been a, it's been a great time, you know. And I mean, They're good to hear to get a demo and them tracks are on it. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's fucking my, hell, yeah, that crazy. doesn't happen every day, does it? I mean, <laughs> no, no, and. 
I mean, I'm trying to remember the track. It was, it was Nancy Boy, Bruce Pristine, Teenage Angst. Uh, what was the other one I said? Uh, there was one called... Bionic? I don't know. Uh, no, I don't, I'm not sure if Bionic was on it, but... I mean, they all, I mean, they all did well. Uh, uh, Come Home. Come Home was oh, on it. That was what one. a tune. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that, that that was on it as well. So it was like ridiculous. I mean, and every honest to God, every single record company wanted to sign them, you know, and every publisher. It was like you you literally you, you couldn't write it. I mean, it's this kind of thing you dream about, you know. Dave phone call for you, who's it? Seymour Stein, who's he? Oh, you sign Madonna or not? Okay, fair enough. How's it going, Seymour? And all, and all, all these people would be phoning you up and it was just great, you know. It, it, for me, yeah. when, you know, when I, I saw them a lot early on, and and it, the songs that 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 first album when I, when I first heard that, I, it didn't sound like anything else. That was the first thing. Yeah, it, it just good. sounded so fresh and so different. Yeah. And then you see Brian, and it's like, oh my god, oh, yeah. there's a pop star right there, and and he could he could walk the walk, he could talk the talk. It was like uh, perfect. Well, he still does. Yeah, yeah absolutely. But, but, it was really funny. When I was up in Dundee, I took him up to Dundee and we went to see Dundee United and Party Thistle, right? It was minus 10. And he had these, <laughs> he, had, he had a long black jumper on, makeup and whatever. And we went to this bar called The Plough, which is, you know, one of these bars just where all the guys go before the match, sawdust on the floor and everything like that. So we're in the bar and obviously people look at him and all that. And he says, they never said that because he's he's actually from Dundee. His mum's from Dundee. Oh, really? So we went, yeah. So we went into the game, and we're sitting there, and it's, it's like it's about minus ten, and he's he's sitting there with his jumper on, and Partick Thistle will score, and he goes, "Yes!" I went, "Right, that's that's the I said, Look, that's not our team. We're Dundee United, mate." And he's all right, okay, whatever. So so that was that, and then um, uh, he's he's met my dad and my mum, and after after he'd gone, my dad says. Son, I says, what is it? You you never told me the guy in the band was a lassie. I went, or the the, the singer was a lassie. And and and, and my mum goes, Willie, don't be ridiculous. You know perfectly well that that's a guy. He says, I, I didn't I didn't see many guys we make up in Dundee. That's, so that was broken. Yeah, it was great. You know. Oh, so, wonderful. There you go. Um, and so. For track five, I'm going to ask you a song that soundtrack your years clubbing, please. Well, you see, in these days, we'd, so we didn't really have clubs. It was just discos, we called them, which I suppose is clubs. But, but it would have to be, have to be Edwin Starr, eye to eye contact. Do, 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 do. Oh, you just used to go to the disco and you just, your eyes would scan the room. Mm, you know what I mean? And then you'd, you'd get that contact, you know? You, did, you used to get that, you know? None of this bloody, you know, what do you call it? Tinder and all that nonsense. Yeah. And, um, you know, you, you actually used to have to meet people and see them physically in front of you and pluck up the courage to chat them up. And am I getting the eye? I remember once I, I thought it was, well, it wasn't me actually, it was somebody else was we were sitting together. And uh, this girl was looking at this guy and, and he said, she keeps looking at me, keeps looking at me. And he, and he went across to say, look, couldn't help notice, but you're keeping looking at me. But would you like your drinks? Says, well, I wasn't looking at you. I was looking at the menu above your head. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a classic. But um, but I I contact. Oh, and we, and you know, I'm not I'm not the best not the best at dancers. But me and my mate Scott Young, the sadly departed now. Scott Young. If you Google him, and he's he's he was a big part of my, my life, and um, it's. Uh, come at a sad end but we used to go to these discos and we'd do these mad dances and like you know slide across the floor and you're, you know, used to do a lot of sliding in you. I don't know what the sliding was all about you know but it used to and a bit of a twirl you know it was a bit a la John Travolta but you know not perfectly executed but we were getting there like you know anyway that, that was my uh, clubbing clubbing one I um he actually played my venue not long <clears throat> before he passed and, oh, uh, yeah. and we used to put on like occasional sort of like uh, retrospective Northern Soul nights, and it was pretty much the Northern Soul circuit that kept him working. I think in the kind of yeah, you know, the latter yeah, part. Just of... some great songs. Oh, yeah. Twenty five miles. What a record! Yeah, like... and and he did what he did. Ward. Yeah, yeah. What I mean, it was brilliant. You know, but no, was happy days, mate. You know, happy days. He. Uh, he he was on stage and it was just to a backing track. He was just doing like a, a five yeah. track PA thing. 
and uh, and I don't know what track it was, but there was there was like an, an old school sort of skinhead in the crowd at this Northern Soul thing, and he <laughs> shouted out, "He's fucking miming." And Edwin Starr just got on the mic and he went, stop the music, stop the music. And then he just went into this absolute kind of rage at this fella saying that he'd never disrespect the Northern Soul scene. It's kept him in money. It's kept a roof over his head, blah, blah, blah. And he said, right, no more music. And he sung Sam Cooke's Cupid a cappella. And you could have heard a pin drop, Dave. It was absolutely brilliant. Meantime, all of the kind of Northern Soul lads were just launching this skinhead out the back doors, but oh, it was brilliant, it was glorious. It was real, a real. Oh, I, I that. It's brilliant, um, that yeah. Um, so moving on to track six, I'm going to take you home, and uh, I'd like a favourite song from an artist from your home county, please, Dave. Biffy Cairo, uh, many of horror, many of horrors. Um, just awesome live band. I mean, superb. Um, and I saw them at Tea in the Park when they did that, and they played Tea in the Park many times, but there must have been 70,000, 80,000 people there. And I, I still maybe once or twice a week click on that video and just to see, you know, the, the whole passion. The, the, what's the guy, the singer? I can't remember the singer's name, but you know, all the tattoos and the shirt off and the, the sweat and the guitars and the, the flags in the crowd. And it's like an anthem. I mean, it. I mean, it, I mean, it could be Scottish national anthem. It's certainly better than Flower of Scotland, that's for sure. <laughs> it's, it's just that, you know, when you, the, the lyrics are amazing, the, all the strings, all, all that stuff. I mean, the first time I heard it on the radio, I went, fuck, who's that? That's unbelievable. And the uh, guy in the office said, that's Biffy Cairo. I said, Jesus, they've, they've, they've come on a bit. They've changed tack a bit, you know what I mean, since the early days. But, no, that that is... Uh, that's a heart stopper as well. That's a real passion. It's a punch the air one. You know, everybody comes together. You know, it's, that's, that's in the lyrics, I think, as well. Mm. I think something like that. But it's just powerful, eh? I mean, m- music has got every element that can make you sad, make you happy, make you laugh, whatever. But it's the power of music, that is. You know, it's just an awesome song. And, and they're a powerful band. I mean, I'm, at the time when, when that came out, I was quite indifferent to, to Biffy Clyro. I'd heard yeah, the, the yeah, early yeah. stuff, and, and it was quite, like I say, there was a big change when they sort of, you know, found their, found their stride. And I saw them at Brixton, and he walked past me, the singer. Is it Simon? Um, uh, it's Simon, yeah. It's yeah. Simon, yeah. And he yeah, walked yeah. past me, and he had like a kind of, he, he wasn't in full like kind of scraggy rock mode. He had like a quiff. And I'm mm. no like every now and again, like just you just catch someone that eye to eye contact thing, and I was like, "Oh my god, that's one of the most handsome people I've ever seen." And I just always see him with just his hair all over his face, with his tattoos out, yeah, and his vest yeah, yeah. rocking out. And this guy walked past with his quiff, and I was like, "That's the dude from Biffy Clara." And it was like I nudged my mate, and I went, "How good looking is that fella? He's ridiculous." Yeah. And then they yeah. got on stage, and I've never heard such a Big sound from three people. It was huge. It was no, just it's, a it's big awesome. wall of sound. Yeah, it's 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 just got everything for me that song. So yeah, I just had to throw that one in there. I mean, there's a lot you could pick, but sometimes you just need to go with your first instinct. You know, you think because you know you you get an idea of your program and what what, what sort of questions you've got asked, and I think well. That just leaps out at me. It yeah. just leaps out at me, and it's just like like I said, it's one of these ones that a couple of times a week I'll go on YouTube, and if I'm feeling a bit like I need a bit of Scotland, you know, I need a bit of a rev up, I need a bit of a kick up the arse, I'll go, you know, when we collide, we come together. You go, oh, come on, let's have it, you know, <laughs> love it. Um, I mean, you, you can you can have a few honourable mentions if you want to get some more some more Scottish bands uh, a, a shout out here. Uh, what else is on that kind uh, of wish well, list of um, needing a slice of Scotland? What do you go to? Oh, it's like Sunshine on Leaf Proclaimers, oh. like you know, uh, just like I mean, and I, I mean, I'm 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 a mad Dundee United fan, but to get the best version, you go to the cup final where they beat Rangers and it's you've got ridiculous, the thirty-five pimps. It? It's oh, it's oh just, uh, that's goosebumps right there. Uh, my heart is aching. I mean, it's like, and I'm not even a, a Hibs fan, but I, I kind of love it, you know. It's yeah. just the, the best. It's superb, you know. That's great. And but I mean, I would say Alex Harvey Faithfuler, but it's hardly a sing-along, that one. Mm. But it's just like 
just so atmospheric. And it was the very first, the very first disco we ever promoted. And uh, this girl I really fancied was sitting at the table. In fact, the only reason to put the disco on, if you've seen the film, yeah. was, to, was was to get off with. And uh, but when when I walked into the when I walked into the room, and that was <laughs> was going on like that, you know that intro, and I just caught her eye, and she caught her eye, and I was just like, wow, it was locked in like a like a guided missile. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. <laughs> so that was it, you know? Oh well, for your last track, this is um, this is when you can play promoter again and turn someone onto something that they've not heard before, and it's a song that many may not know that you would like them to hear. Please, Dave. Yeah, well, it's um, it's from Kyle Faulkner, who I used to manage um, for a couple of years, and I, I couldn't get him a record deal because he, he he just had a bit of a, rep- a reputation from years ago that. But everybody does a few things in, in the day, but it was all blown out of proportion. But I, I just couldn't get him a record deal. And I really, really love the guy. He's he's from Dundee. He's a super, super, super talent. So even though I said I'd never put money into another band to record an album, I spent money recording this album. And it was called No Thank You. And um, I think it was Liam Gallagher who came up with it. No, it was Kyle. Kyle knows Liam and they were in Phuket or something. And... Um, Kyle come up with a name and Liam says, oh, I think I'll use that. He says, no, you're not going to use it. I'll use it. I'm, I'm using it. It's called No Thank You. So that was the name of the album. And I spent a load of dough on it and um, we put it out. So we put it out on Riverman Records and every single review, I think I read about 45 reviews of the album and every review bar none was like 4 out of 5, 9 out of 10, 10 out of 10, 5 out of 5. Scottish album of the year. I went top 40, sneaked into the top, the real top 40, just on our own little label. So I felt really proud of it. But we couldn't get any radio. And anyhow, I was around in my house one night and um, my mum always used to say to me, um, she says, well, she died actually during, during the making of the film. But she said to me when she first met Kyle, she said, she said, son, David, that, that wee lad's the best you've ever had, that Kyle. So and I told Kyle that, and Kyle always says to me, you remember what your mum said, I'm the best he's ever had, <laughs> if, he, if he ever wanted anything done. Like, you know? So the track, there's many, every, every track's great. There's not one bad track on the album, but it's called Madonna's Makeup. And I said, how's it called Madonna's Makeup? He says, oh, I wrote that years ago when my mum and dad died, because they, they, they died when he was about 16. And he said, just think how good it would be when, if you go up to heaven and all your stars are there that you like, like Frank Sinatra and Michael Jackson and Marilyn Monroe and stuff like that. So the lyrics are like, Marilyn's going to do your makeup and Michael's going to teach you to dance and Marilyn's going to give you acting lessons like Marilyn brought. I mean, it's, it's just like total genius. He said, so I kind of wrote it for my mum and dad. And it's kind of the way he explained it to me. 
And then if you play the track, it's just like superb. And that was going to be the fourth single off the album. But to be honest, I just run out of money. So, and I couldn't get a video done for it. But And then, then uh, we, we sort of part of company on the business front. But we're still great friends. I talked to him two or three times a week because he's just such a great guy. Just, just to give you an example, we had a bit of a, a, a semi-fallout on the day of the album release and, and, and he thought I called him stupid. I, I, I said, I, I never called you stupid. He says, did I call me called stupid? I solved the Rubik Cube when I was six. <laughs> 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 and I thought, I thought, and I, I just burst out laughing. I says, you, you're just like ridiculous, mate. He says, I, 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 when I was six, yeah, six. <laughs> So, so we just we just start laughing. So now we're just like best mates. So now Alan McGee manages him now. He's mm. a good mate of mine, you know. And um, I think Alan and I think Kyle must have put the uh, record. The I don't know where he got the door. It's getting um, it's getting to airplay. It's on loads of playlists, and I, I think it's going to be a smash. And I think he's the next thing to come. Out. I mean, he's he's a, just a prolific, amazing songwriter. So Madonna's makeup is a track. Wonderful. And Carl pops up in schemas okay. as well, doesn't he? Oh, Kyle's great. Kyle's going to be going to, going to be in the next film as uh, to set in nineteen eighty five to nineteen ninety in London. So you can imagine what in that encapsulates all the stuff that's going on then from the bands that I promoted when I went there at first. Uh, and then finish up with Nirvana and stuff like that. But it's just a journey. Like, and, and Kyle is one of the guys I share a flat with, except oh, like one of the guys is a, a, a scouser, but I'm going to change it to Kyle because Kyle well, Kyle says, look, I could do a scouse accent. And he was in my house a few weeks ago, well, a few months ago in Dundee, and he did it. And he could do it great, but I'm just going to do it as Kyle. So he's, he's, he's going to have quite a, a, a nice role, and he's so funny. He's a, one of the funniest people I've ever met. He could be a stand-up comedian. Tomorrow, he could go on there and just, like, smash it. His stories are just so good. Oh, I had no so idea there was going to be a follow-up film. That's, a, that's incredible. Oh, no, no. Oh, no, we're doing that. We're doing that. It's, um, I'm writing the script just now. I mean, I wrote, um, I've wrote the script for it, and we're going to start filming hopefully maybe September, October. I'd like to say 1985 to 1990. So you've got all these – it's a killer soundtrack with loads of bands that probably nobody's heard of, but these ones that are just under the radar – with songs that were, oh, what, who's that? Wow, who's that? You know, these ones that just never quite made it. And then I'm going to have a couple of big hitters in there and um, loads of good cameos and all that. And uh, Yeah, it's great. It's going, it's going really good. So I'm really excited by that. Oh, excellent. Yeah. Dave, we put together a, a Spotify playlist to accompany this uh, podcast. So we'll, we'll add all the tracks that you've picked and, and some of the other tracks that we've spoke about as well. Um, for the rest of the year... As we're, you know, as in the UK, we're coming out of lockdown. It feels like, you know, from what you said, you're in a lot better shape over in Bangkok. What's coming up um, for for the business and for you and for Placebo? What's what's to be looked forward to? Well, Placebo, um, well, as things stand, their arena tour that's scheduled, the meant to start in October this year, is going to be rescheduled for next year. A lot of their festivals that were scheduled for this year, huge festivals, a lot, a lot of them have fallen by the wayside, but some are still going ahead. And I know for a fact that a big one in Russia, thank God, is going ahead because that is our biggest, that is a huge market for us, Russia. So there'll be a couple of, well, maybe five or six festivals with Placebo. Maybe do one of these online things, um, streaming things. We've talked to a few people about that, but it's not the same, is it? Uh, what else? I wrote a book. Um, with this guy at the Guardian, Rich Perley, he he did an interview with me and he said, you should write a book. I said, well, you can write it with me. So we finished that. So we'll be doing the promo for the book. What else is there? Um, and we're doing a do- I'm doing a documentary on, uh, I don't know if you follow football, but I'm doing a documentary on Dundee and Dundee United because there are two teams. Both both got to the European Cup semi-final. Both lo- lost out to Italian teams on bribery. The, the, the teams are in the same street the, it's a long throw from one one ground to the next, literally like 30 yards. And Dundee United have played Barcelona four times, beat them four times. So there's a lot of story there, you know. So I'm going to do this, what is it, two, what, what we called it? Two teams, one street or something. I, I, I don't know. It's, it's something like that. So I'm going to do that documentary just to keep myself from getting bored. Um, and Johnny Owen, my mate, is going to help me out just to give a bit of advice because he did... Um, 
he did the one about not in the forest, I believe, in miracles, and he did uh, the Three Kings with Matt Busby, Shankly, and uh, Jock Steen. So Johnny's a good mate. He's a lovely, he's lovely guy as well. As well. Oh, he's, he's such a tough uh, fella, Johnny. Uh, Johnny's a legend. I mean, he's so, he's, he, I had him out in Bangkok. What a laugh. He said to me, Dave, I've got to meet Spikey Watkins. I says, who's Spikey Watkins? He goes, oh, you never heard of Spikey Watkins? I says, never heard of him. He says, he's ca- Captain of Wales, boy. Captain of Wales. Like, rugby, man. I says, no, I think I'll give it a swear. He says, no, just come in for a pint. I says, no, no. So I saw him the next day. I said, what's up with you? He said, oh, he says, you, you made a good decision not coming to see Spikey. I says, what happened? He says, I had 18 pints. <laughs> I says, how could, you, how could you possibly physically, anybody? He says, well, he says, you've never been with us Welsh boys when we get together. I said, thank God. You know what I mean? <laughs> so jo- jo- Johnny was in Bangkok um, and he helped me loads on the films. And he's hooked me up with some great people like Vicky and that, you know, Vicky McClure and whatever. And he's introduced me to a lot of people. So anyhow, he's he's going to get he's got a part in the next film. And he's going to be the barman at the Greyhound. Well, not the barman, the guy who owns the Greyhound. The guy who owned the Greyhound when we did all these bands was was a Scots guy called Duncan Ferguson. But I, I could just see Johnny brilliantly. We'll just make him well, sort of. He could try his Scottish accent, but just because Duncan was just so funny to me. I mean, he was, he was mental, the guy that run the place. Big cigar, bonnet. He used to keep a thousand pounds under his hat. <laughs> and, 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 you know, so, and, he, and he had this Rottweiler that bit me on my first day there. This Rottweiler sunk its teeth into me and I went, fuck. And Duncan came through. He says, what are you, what are you great about, son? What are you great? It's only a dog. He's, yes, it's not. His teeth are locked. His, he, and so he got his cigar and put it on the dog's nose, like that, and then snapped it on. <laughs> He says, oh, you better go and get an injection. You've probably got tetanus or rabies or something. I went, okay, okay. <laughs> so, 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 so Johnny's going That's to be That's your first day? Thought, that was my first day at the Greyhound, yeah. <laughs> and, and I used to, because I, I had no money, I was skinned. I used to sleep in the cloakroom. And during the day, it was a strip club, right, with strippers. And I would be sort of booking bands and they're, you know, naked, wandering about in front of me, and I'm trying to do a deal. Going, wait, 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 what's happening there? Kind of lost, lost control a bit there. So I was sleeping in the the cloakroom, which had no windows and was next to the toilet. And Duncan used to let the the Rottweiler roam. I don't know if you ever used to go to the Greyhound, but it was all sticky floors mm. and the, the, all like obviously the smell of the booze and all that. So I would have to get up, leave my cloakroom, and go for a piss or something in the in the toilets that the punters would use so it was a bit smelly and all that and then it'd hear Jesus Christ that Rottweiler's on the loose and then dive back in the cloakroom and it was oh nightmare <laughs> oh wonderful um Dave, when this comes out um, in the bio for it, I'll put links to where people can go and watch Schemers, and I, I can't recommend that film enough. It's, it's wonderful. All right, good uh, lad. Can't Cheers. wait to, to see the next one. Um, <laughs> the link to the Spotify playlist to be in there as well. Um, Dave, it's been an absolute joy, mate. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, I loved it. That was brilliant. It was a great chat. Really, really, really loved chatting. It was fantastic, okay? Thank you so much. Okay? Oh, thanks, Dave. There you go. I mean... You understand what I made a film of Dave's life, right? And that was so good, finding out there's going to be a follow-up. Because obviously, at the beginning, I mentioned that, you know, the film kind of starts to sort of wind itself up as as, as Dave sort of relocates to, to London. And, and yeah, I'm, I just can't wait to see where that's going to go. Uh, that's going to be super exciting. Um, well, thanks ever so much for listening. Thanks again to Dave. Thanks to you lot. And... As mentioned at the beginning, you can go and explore the archives and you can also sign up to the Patreon or merch or whatever you want to do. I won't keep the, the hard sale stuff, but you can find out about everything you need to know about this podcast at www.offthebeatandtrackpodcast.com. I'll see you next time. Bye-bye. I've got an announcement. Save Our Souls Clothing. www.sosclothing.co.uk Why am I telling you this? Because they're our official sponsor. Yeah, that's right. Go and check them out because their clothing is off the scale. You're going to love it. So they've decided they want to be our sponsor, which is amazing. And what I have to do is I have to tell you about why they're amazing. So here's a little bit of blurb. So they've only been going a year. 
and they're based in South NLC, just up the road from me. They put the company together based on a, a love of tattoos and alternative music. And they've worked with some of the greatest artists around the world to produce these items of clothing that are as unique as you lot. All of the designs are printed using biodegradable, sustainable and water-based inks. In addition to that, they only print on garments made by members of Fairwear Foundation. I mean, come on, great clothing and a conscience. Since going live in April last year, they've seen their audience grow massively and are now selling orders all across the world. And they were recognised by Cosmopolitan Magazine as one of the best sustainable clothing brands alongside names such as Stella McCartney. I mean, that's quite a first year, right? So, go and check them out because they've put a lot of love into supporting this podcast and I couldn't be happier. What else they've done is they've given you 15% off. So, if you head over to www.sosclothing.co.uk do a bit of shopping, see what you like, throw it in the basket, and then on the way out, put in the discount code BEAT15. B-E-A-T-1-5. And that'll save you 15% off. Amazing, right? www.sosclothing.co.uk Official sponsors of Off The Beat and Track Podcast. It's Off The Beat and Track Podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whipping. Hey, 